grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Adopt Perspective. I'm your host, Joe Sparrow. Our next two episodes feature a mother and a daughter who have generously offered to share their stories with us. First up, we talk to Joyce Westerman, a mother who lost a daughter to adoption in 1970 in Rockhampton, Queensland. Welcome to Adopt Perspective, Joyce. I'm so happy to have you join me today. Happy to be here. (laughs) Joyce, um, I thought we would start off with, if you could just share a little bit about um, who you were and your life before you became pregnant. Okay, I guess I was a fairly typical teenager of the time, um, like going out and things like that with my friends. Um, I had a steady boyfriend who is the father of my daughter. Um, I guess most of my life was, social life anyway, was spent with church and uh, church events and activities. Um, And I worked in an office. I was um, a stenographer and... um, yeah, just the usual life that um, girls at that time had. I enjoyed playing the guitar and I used to write poetry. And when I was at school, I wrote sto- stories, I called them. <laughs> um, yeah, but that, that was my main interest. So I'm one of nine children. So oh, wow. grew up in a big family. Yeah. And yeah. they were quite religious. So that was my background. Yeah. Thank you. Can you tell us um, a little about your pregnancy and the events that led to your daughter being placed for adoption? Yeah, um, back in those days, I guess, um, if you became pregnant and you weren't married, it was either a shotgun wedding or it was, you know, give your child up for adoption in most cases, um, unless you had really strong family support, which I didn't really because they were totally ashamed about the fact that I had become pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, when the time came when we had to speak to our parents about it, um, my parents were in favour of getting married, but his weren't. Um, and I didn't want to because I was only 17. Yeah. Um, and so at the time I worked in an office where there were phone books for the whole of Queensland. So um, I used to relieve on the switchboard at lunchtime and I used to look through the books and I eventually found um, the home in Rockhampton um, called Bethesda. It was run by the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suggested that to our parents and they agreed. I think they were just happy that I would be away from Brisbane and nobody would know about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If it's okay, would you be able to tell us about your experience at Bethesda and your daughter's birth in the days following? 
Yeah, um, Bethesda, I think, was probably one of the better homes. I've talked to a lot of mothers in the last few years and some of them went through horrific stuff. I mean, I guess for me, it was more about being away from home for the first time in my life. And yeah. I'd had a fairly sheltered upbringing, so that was a bit hard. I felt a little bit like a fish out of water. There was a big group of girls and we always uh, shared a bedroom and uh, I had two different girls share with me while I was there because I was there for six months. Um, it's a long time, isn't it? Yes, yeah. it is, yeah. And my family were not well off, so nobody came to visit me during those six months. Um, the boyfriend was supposed to come up and they were at Easter it was and um, he had car troubles and so he couldn't come and he went to a church camp where he had an experience where he felt like our relationship was wrong and broke it off with me. So he continued to pay my way and write me letters to support me, but the relationship was over basically. So it must have been um, difficult, yeah. Yeah, it did. And um, also um, I'd grown up in a family, being religious, we didn't even have a television. My father didn't consider that good for us. So um, I, the other girls would watch TV every evening, but most of the time I spent in my room, I played my guitar, wrote poetry, wrote letters home, uh, read books. So I was a little bit of a loner during the time when I was up there. Um, but by and large, the home was probably run pretty similarly to most of the homes. Um, you know, you paid your board, you got your main meal of the day, and we kind of fended for ourselves for breakfast and dinner, but we got a very good lunch in the middle of the, of the day. Um, and I guess in the mornings we would have chores to do, but they weren't really onerous. Um, just household chores and then we did things like um, made craft items for um, street stalls because that that's, was another way of the home making money to support us um, and then we were pretty free for the rest of the day um, we went to the local hospital for our antenatal appointments and um, the only thing that the home would say is please don't go in big groups so you know we two or three of us would walk together and um, all leave separately and things like that because there's still a lot of stigma about um, young unmarried mothers and uh, you know you could see on the part of the staff at the hospital that they didn't treat us the same as other mothers so um, but apart from that we were not encouraged to talk about pregnancy or what to expect. So I think for most of us, when we did give birth, it was a pretty big shock, yeah. you know, because we didn't know what to expect. And um, for me, I found out many years later that um, the birth of my daughter was a little bit different um, to a lot of them. She um, came back to front. So, you know, apparently that is a painful way to give birth. I certainly know it was painful, but I didn't know there was any difference to anything else. So at the time, um, I guess I, I just kind of thought, well, this is what you go through, you know, and um, I, my daughter wasn't delivered by a doctor. She was delivered by a nursing sister and a doctor came in and checked me later. But um, yeah, 
it was a bit tough in hospital because we had shared wards um, and we'd see the mothers across from us. Their, their babies were brought in for feeding and we just had to sit in bed and watch them. Oh, gosh. So, yes, yeah. that, was, that was a bit tough. Um, I was never told any, that I had any rights. I was just visited by, I suppose it was a social worker, I don't really know who it was, um, who just asked me to sign the form, um, fill it in with, you know, the information that um, I had about myself and the father. But, of course, that information about him was never included on the birth certificate, and that was common too in those days. Um, and all that we were able to do is to give the child a first name if we wanted to. Um, we were also um, allowed to say what um, religious denomination we preferred. So I, I had put down Protestant, and she was adopted by a Protestant family. But I think um, I don't really remember an awful lot about that part. I think I've kind of blacked it out of my memory a lot. Um, I just remember that, you know, I couldn't, when I got out of hospital, I couldn't wait to get back to Brisbane again and um, just resume life, which, of course, took some doing. Yeah, it didn't happen straight away. I was quite depressed afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Were you able to see your daughter after she was born? No, I wasn't even able to see her when she was born. Um, they would hold a sheet across in front of you. Um, but as it turned out, it was a Saturday night and um, there was a big rush on the maternity ward that night for some unknown reason. And uh, I was in one of the emergency um, uh, theatres. So there was a big light um, above me and I just glimpsed a reflection of her that's as much as I saw yeah I just took her away and many years later I learned that she had a, um, a bony growth on her back which I was never told about of course and um, you know so she had to have surgery as a very young baby and um, to have that removed so I think that held up her adoption by at least some weeks she was um, we, we now know she was sent to the neocon um, children's home in Rockhampton so she spent some weeks there yeah but um, yeah I wasn't allowed to hold her see her I didn't actually even ask because I thought to myself if I do that I it will make it a, so much harder for me you know that I just have to accept I've got to get through this time and put it behind me so yeah I didn't I didn't even they didn't even tell me what gender she was and I asked a nurse later on I was told and told her wait but other than that I wouldn't have known if I hadn't asked they yeah. didn't tell me hmm. oh gosh that must have been so difficult yeah yeah it was and you know I think I really tried to bury it afterwards um I uh, met another guy about 10 months after coming back from having her and um probably about a year into our relationship, I had some sort of breakdown. Um, looking back, I know that's what it was, but at the time I really didn't know. And um, so during that time, I had a lot of trouble stopping myself crying and I was working. So I would escape out to the ladies room and have a cry and come back and go on with work. 
And um, to get myself through it, I was right at the back of a big open office and I used to sing and whistle all day so that I wouldn't cry. So, um, yeah, that's, and I, I did have a break. Did you tell, I know your family knew, did you tell anybody else? Um, I had two very good girlfriends who knew about it. Um, so, yeah, I had contact with them. I wrote to them while I was in Rockhampton. Um, and uh, my family all knew, um, but I didn't know whether my younger brother and sister knew. And it's only in the last year I found out talking to them that um, they suspected but were never told. Um, and one day when my parents were at church, they had a look at um, the letters that I'd been writing to my mother and they figured out from that that that's where I was having a baby. But it was never spoken about in our family. So something really, pushed down. Yeah, and, and because it was a shameful thing too in those yeah. days. And um, it wasn't until... I uh, put my name down to meet Kylie, which was 20 years later, that anybody in the family really talked about it. You know, it's so, incredible, um, isn't it? Yeah. There's only once my mother said something to me and she that was when I became pregnant with my next daughter and I was out at clothesline at her place helping her get the washing in and I told her. And all she said was, oh, did you tell the doctor this isn't your first? And that's all she said. So you know, it was like, oh, this is a deep, dark secret that must never come out. Yeah. It's always incredible to me when I hear, which was such a common story that nobody talked about it afterwards, is I imagine everybody was thinking about it always. Yes. Think, uh, and but nobody was talking. Yeah, and I think particularly my parents were when I got the next boyfriend because, you know, the way they reacted, um, I immediately thought, I must go and get the pill, you know, must make sure it doesn't happen again because yeah. my mother particularly was very upset because apparently my father gave her a pretty hard time while I was away. He blamed her and, uh, yeah, I would blame me, of course, but, you know, blamed her for not being a good enough mother that I'd become pregnant, which was nonsense, but, you know, that was yeah. his way of looking at it. So, yeah, so, um, you know, I wasn't really particularly close to my parents and I left home about two years later or yeah. maybe a little sooner than that just went and shared a place with friends. Joyce you um you went on to have more children can you tell me do you feel like the adoption had an impact on you as a mother? Yes definitely um I think that when I um met the next guy all I could think about was getting married and having another baby just mm. to replace her yeah. and it took another six years five and a half years before I finally did have my next baby but I was also determined that he wanted to have a baby as well so therefore I waited um, but it kind of put a lot of pressure on um, on I guess my mothering of her too because I wanted to be perfect yeah. I want to be the perfect mother. 
um, and he was very fond of her. Uh, they had a very close relationship. And so from that point of view, that was good. But um, he was a very violent man, unfortunately. And um, I think I married him irrespective because I knew nothing about violence. Um, I did try to leave when I was expecting my second um, or the, the third child, should I say, third, second with him. Um, because he really didn't want me to have another one, but he said I could, but, you know, it would be my responsibility. He, he just wanted her, the older one. Um, and I didn't think it was right for a child to grow up alone, so I wanted to have another one, and that really strained the relationship and uh, brought on a lot of violence. Um, I found somewhere um, to move to, but... I couldn't because I thought what's going to happen to the older one who is two, you know, who's going to look after her when I go into hospital. So I stayed and, you know, things like that over the years that made me stay. He always threatened that uh, if I tried to leave him, he'd take the children off me because I had mental health problems. And I did. I had depression and mm -hmm. anxiety. I recognized later on right through that marriage. But of course, Part of that had to be the violence. It wasn't just, you know, as a result of losing my daughter to adoption. That was part of it, but wasn't the whole story. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess that's the effect that it had on my being a mother. And I would, I just, to this day, I still feel, you know, I'm pretty much um, a failure as a mother. Yeah, and that's, you know, because... I've worked in the field of violence against women and I just feel like, well, I was there when, you know, a while back I was there. Um, and I know there were reasons why I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave them there with him because he was so violent and I had no power to, you know, look after them by myself, no, no family support. So, um, yeah, I guess it had a huge impact on me as a mother. Yeah. Yeah. You um you mentioned before that um you felt adoption had impacted on your mental health. Yeah. Yeah. Has um has that sort of continued through your life? Is it has it had that impact? Yeah, I think um depression or anxiety was there um from earlier in childhood, but it did continue, of course, and um, well, my ex-husband's family considered that as, you know, you're a bit crazy or something if you had depression. So it was really stigmatised. I guess over a lot of my life, I've just kind of hidden it away and not, you know, I, you learn to live with it and you think, oh, well, you know, this is just because of the things that have happened in my life and you I've had a lot of counselling and, um, you know, sometimes it's helped with that, but I do just still tend towards anxiety or depression at times. And yeah. um, even though I do work with vulnerable women myself, but, you know, I feel like, well, that's just a fact of life for lots of women and, you know, it, you can't let it stop your life. You've got to keep going. Yeah. 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 So can you tell me about the circumstances that led up to you reaching out to have contact with your daughter? Yeah. Um, 
I guess over all the years, I because my family hadn't talked about it, I'd kind of hidden it away a lot. And of course, I always thought about her, at, you know, her birthday, Mother's Day, Christmas, you know, all those occasions. And I didn't talk about it very much. And my two younger children didn't know about it until I um, actually met her. But um, about the somewhere around the middle of 1990, I think it was, or perhaps a little earlier, um, it was being spoken about on um, TV about how changes were going to come about in the Adoption Act. And so there were a lot of people going on TV talking about their story um, and their experiences. And um, it really um, hit home to me. And I, I thought, you know, I really do want to meet her. And, you know, I'd always intended to meet her when um, she was 18 because that was the earliest time I could have. But when that time came, my ex was still very violent and I thought, no, I can't introduce her into a violent family like that. So he did make an effort for a while there and the physical violence at least did, did pretty well stop. Um, so about that time when we heard on the TV about those stories, he encouraged me to go and look for her. And I don't know how I knew about it, but somewhere across the years I'd learned about Jigsaw and I knew that that was where I'd have to go because there was no contact otherwise. So um, eventually I got up the courage to put my name down um, to meet her. And um, immediately it was confirmed that her name was already down. She'd put her name down when she was 16. And that oh, was when, wow. Yeah, that's when she left home. So, um, yeah, she'd been waiting to meet me. So that was lovely. Um, and she was almost, yeah, she'd just turned 20 about the time that um, we first made contact. We made contact before that. We had talked on the phone quite a lot. Yeah. Um, written a few letters. I'd written some poetry for her and sent to her, uh, things like that. And, yeah. um, and then she was living in Townsville at the time. So I thought, oh, that's nearly impossible for me to go up there. But what happened was um, her partner at the time got a job, a short-term job down here in Brisbane. So she, she said, oh, I'm going to come down with him. So she did, and that's that's how we met in the December. So what can you tell me about that meeting? Um, it, I don't think it was the, uh, you know, throwing your arms around each other and being very happy, but not, not that so much as um, Kylie had a lot of questions for me. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, she, she'd been told some incorrect information, which I believe her adoptive parents had been told incorrectly as well. Mm -hmm. um, so she always thought that um, I was older than I was when she was born. And, of course, in those days, 21 was adult, not, not 18 as it is now. Um, and I was eight. I just not long turned 18 when I had her. So... Um, it wasn't an option really, unless you had family support because there was no supporting mother's benefit until 1973. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I had to sort of explain that to her that, you know, she had the incorrect information about that. Um, 
So I think we were kind of, we were really happy to meet each other and we had heaps to um, talk about. But I think with my ex being there, that kind of, he, he's a kind of a strange sort of person sometimes when he, when he feels threatened, you know, and he did feel threatened by her. I don't think he expected that. Thinking back, you know, what I remember is feeling a sense of wonderment because she was so much like me in so many ways, not physically, but her interests and her, some of her personality traits and things like that. Even some of her experiences were similar to things that I had experienced. And so, you know, I remember feeling, wow, this heredity thing, it really does, you know, um, sock in there because, you know, I hadn't raised her. So there wasn't, you know, that element of it. And, um, yeah, it kind of went a little bit awkwardly at first, but um, she had to go back home. And then um, after that, uh, she decided she was going to come back down. And we said, you can come and stay with us, which is what she wanted. She wanted to get to know us. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't work. My ex was just, he felt too threatened and... Um, she ended up finding herself, you know, a share place with someone else and she got herself a job. So that was a really difficult time then because um, he didn't want me seeing her and he was kind of giving me ultimatums like it's me or her, you know. Yeah. So Some I time. did go to adoption counselling then and he came too um, and we were just, we came to the solution that, um, I wouldn't talk about her so much and I wouldn't tell him if I was going to go and see her and we just let it all settle down a bit. Well, that also caused problems. But um, anyway, we, we just kept on persisting with it. Um, but that was about oh, two and a half years before my ex and I separated. So, um, you know, I think probably that brought a lot of the issues to a head so um what has the reunion brought to your life Joyce well I was thinking about that last night in preparation for today and I was thinking you know she came into my life when she was 20 so you know that was before any of my children had their own children and she became a part of the family and no matter what else happened, she is part of my family and she always has been. And I think um, I, I'm really very lucky that I've had her all those years. It, it's been ups and downs at times. Um, but, you know, both of us, we have a family um, trait of determination. <laughs> so <laughs> I always say that with all, all my um, children and um even grandchildren, we've just hung in there and um, through the ups and downs. And yeah. I have a good relationship with her two daughters, which is nice. And, um, and of course, now, you know, we're closer than ever because she's come to Brisbane to live again. So it's not. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. amazing. So, um, Joyce, when we spoke last time, you told me that you um, journal daily and you have done for many, many years. Yes. which I just think is amazing because, as I said to you, I, I always want to be a journaler, but um, 
I lack the determination <laughs> to make that happen every day. And I think it's yeah. an I would think it might be a healing thing for you. Can you tell me a bit about it and how it's helped? Yeah, I think initially um, it started while I was still married. So it was an outlet for me for dealing with all the, the violence and the other feelings that were coming up. Um, but then I stopped because he found my journal, even though I hid oh, it goodness. away and read it. Yeah. So I stopped that for a while. Yeah. Um, but after we separated, I guess it, I wrote it quite frequently just as an outlet for my feelings. And also, um, I think, you know, I went through a period after the breakdown of my marriage where um, I had a lot of mental health issues for about a year. And it was a way of checking in with myself that, yeah, this is happening. It's not my imagination, you know, um, th this is what I'm feeling. And I've always found through journaling that when you write something down like that, um, you're doing it in a, a sort of an intuitive way. And, you know, when you come back and read it later, even a few days later, you go, oh, I actually wrote that. That makes sense, you know. So I think very deep truths come out when you journal. And it was my way of um, coping by myself mostly, yeah. yeah, being able to do that because I think when you've had an experience like losing a child to adoption that, um, and, you know, no one talks to you about it, you just internalise it all. Yeah. And, um it's interesting, I was talking to a friend the other day who's um, a trauma counsellor and she's had a bit of trauma in her own life and she said, you know, sometimes she said, I think I get through all of this at work just by uh, keeping everything compartmentalised inside and I thought about that and I thought, yeah, that's what I've been doing for years, you know. <laughs> so that that was my way of getting through, I guess. Yeah, yeah. one of the tools. I've had meant to ask you whether you do revisit your your past writings so that is something is it only more recent ones or have you ever gone back to some of your earlier ones I don't normally but occasionally I might read an old poem that I wrote or something I haven't really um, written a lot of poetry in the last few years it was more when when I was young and when I was married but um, yeah, I don't tend to um, look at my own writing so much, but I have started to write a memoir um, about adoption. Um, I, I haven't done that for a little while either because I've been moving house and all sorts of things. But, um, yeah, that was it was quite strange doing that first draft because it was like, just get the facts down. You know, there's not much about feelings in there. So, of course, there'll be a, quite a lot of rewriting with that, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first draft is always about that. Just get all of the structure down, the 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 facts, and then later you can go and colour it in. Yeah, yeah. So I've done a little bit of therapeutic writing over the years. Different counsellors have got me to do different little bits of writing, and um, yeah. And, and one of the things that I did do um, before I even saw counsellors, I think when I was still married, I wrote a few short stories featuring adoption. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and other things like that. So writing has just always been a part of me and, you know, I've enjoyed it since I was about eight years old I've been writing. So Yeah. Is there anything else that you think has um, helped you with your healing, like, you know, apologies or 
groups or you know anything in particular yeah um with the first apology um I actually I knew it was on but I was working that day and it was funny it was not long after the um sorry speech for um the Aboriginal people but everyone stopped at work that day and watched it on TV but nobody did for the adoption one and I just kind of played it low key and um, I didn't even watch it and so I didn't watch it for some years after that I knew about it but I didn't watch it and um, then what happened uh, a woman came into our work who said to her counsellor I'd like somebody to come along and do a talk to my new group about sexual assault Um, and I said I immediately volunteered because I thought wow this is an adoption group I don't even know about any adoption groups so um, I went along and met her and became part of her group Um, I've sort of helped to get it going and set it up and done all sorts of support work with her with that group and that's been great it's a mother's group Um, we haven't actually run it for a little while because of COVID mainly (laughs) and because we've both moved but um, that's been so rewarding and she in particular and some of the other women who run other groups um, it's really lovely being able to talk to them and know that they understand exactly what I'm talking about yeah 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 is that um, do do you mind sharing the name of the group just so others might find it yeah, um, it's called You Gave Me a Voice and um, that's from Vivian's experiences that she felt like when she had her reunion that it all came to the surface for her and she wanted to speak out about it. So yeah. um, that's why it's called that and um, that's what it's about, you know, giving women a voice, being able to talk to each other and um, share experiences and just reassure each other that, you know, okay, this is quite normal to feel like this and lots of us other mothers feel the same way that, you know, there's nothing wrong with you, you're, you're okay. Yeah. Um, and just support each other, particularly the mums that haven't met their children yet that, you know, they need a lot of support. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been really rewarding to do that. And, of course, along the way I've... Um, been involved with a mother's group at uh, uh, Jigsaw initially. Um, I also go to a group called Connections at the Gold Coast. As long as I can, it's just more difficult now that I've moved. Um, But that was a general group for um, anyone who'd been affected by adoption. And and that group was a real eye-opener for me because I was the only mother there for quite a long time. And just listening to adoptees stories really helped me appreciate what Kylie had been going through. Yeah. You know, because she doesn't always tell me the nitty gritty of how she's feeling, but um, you know, you hear other people say, Oh, well, this was what my reunion was like, or this is what my relationship is like now, or I'm debating, will I go and meet her or will I meet my siblings? You know, all that kind of thing. And um, it, it really teaches you a great deal. And, really adds to the compassion for adoptees yeah yeah I always um think like when you initially start exploring your adoption experience you you go inward you're looking at your experience and then there comes a time where you're ready to listen to the other stories in 
you know, in the triad, I guess. And um, and sometimes it can be hard to talk to your mother or to your daughter about those feelings, but you can get a lot from those groups where um, you can hear the other side without it being cutting so close to the bone, I guess. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And um, with that group, um, you gave me a voice. We interviewed Vivian Timmermans um, last year. So I'll put a link up when we put this um, episode out to that as well. So people can have a listen if they want. Yeah. 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 Been a great experience running that group with her. And um, she's a a really close friend now. And she's lovely. Yeah. We really support each other. So lovely. Look, Joyce, um, thank you so much for sharing your experience um, with us today. I know it's it's not always easy. Um, and so I hope you'll take care of yourself after today and um, and maybe do a little bit of journaling. Yes. <laughs> but um, I know that um, you've got the intention of wanting to help others. And I know that listening to your story will help others. So thank you so much. Yes, you're welcome. I'm glad I've been able to share. Yeah. So in two weeks' time, um, we'll speak to Joyce's daughter, Kylie, about her adoption experience. And um, so be sure to tune into that one as well. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. But meanwhile, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? If you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form that you'll find there. And please note that Adopt Perspective can be listened to people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Joe Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Mm-hmm.